Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Morning. My name is David. For those of you who don't know me, I'm pastor here on staff at Heights Community. I get the privilege of wrapping up this capital campaign series, investing in the story that we've been in now. This is our fourth week in it. We're in 2 Corinthians 9, as Jeff just read. And I get to hit on being missionally strategic. And so some of you know, and you've heard this, if you are here last week, Corey talked about it. We have what we call a vision frame. It's how we articulate everything that we do and are trying to do and want to make sure that we stay on track with that. So our vision frame is simple. We have a mission. Let's connect people to the family of God. We have values that steer that, that we say every single week that we're about the gospel, we're about community, and we're about mission. That's the why behind the what. The how is just our strategy to get that done through Sunday morning services, through primarily through missional community, and through other what we call DNA. So that's more specific discipleship. Well, then what our hope is, is that that doesn't put more butts in seats and more baptisms in, in a bigger budget, which those things can be good, but that, is all not, that, that does not always measure true success or a healthy church. And so for us, what we want to do is we want to be a family, a story-formed, hospitable, missional strategist, meaning that we are family connected by God. We are sons and daughters of the most high king that we are formed by the gospel. We're hospitable with all that we do and all that we have. And then lastly, that we're going to unpack this week that we're missionally strategic. And so a few things that missionally strategic does not mean. What it does not mean is that you need to go out knocking on doors randomly and walking up to every stranger with a gospel track. That is not missionally strategic. That's awkward in 2022, okay? 40, 50, 60 years ago, more acceptable. Not today, all right? So that's not what we're aiming for you to do. Uh, missionally strategic is not reserved just for missionaries, pastors, and church staff. Each and every person who is saved by God is on mission to make disciples to the ends of the earth. And we'll unpack that some today. And, and I get to talk more about being missionally strategic next week as well. So also, what it doesn't mean is that you just get to stroke a check and call it done. That's also been a fallacy of the American church over the past several decades, that you can support missions and that makes you missionally strategic. Yes, you should support missions, but it doesn't alleviate you of the responsibility that God has placed on you as an individual and us as a church to go out and to make disciples of all nations. And so... As we look at this, I want to give you a big idea that really, I think, encompasses all of this. And the big idea for the sermon is this, that God has graciously supplied all things to you for all that he has created you to do. So as we read this text in 2 Corinthians 9, it's talking about how whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. We're going to break all this down and talk about it. But it says that he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. So he's going to multiply the seed that you already have so you can sow more so you can do good works. 
so that you can do things for him, for his kingdom. And, and so I think it's interesting as you read this, Paul is the author of 2 Corinthians 9. He also writes in Ephesians 2, he, he takes and he breaks down this whole just, uh, procession of how a person is born into sin. He says you're dead in your trespasses. And he talks about how then that because of God and, and his work and because of Christ that we are, we are saved through grace, or saved by grace through faith, which is not of our own doing, but a gift from God. Like this, we are saved because God. We are not saved by our own works so that no man may boast. You cannot be good enough to be saved. You cannot be good enough to go to heaven. But the, the last part that I find so interesting is it says that he has created you for good works that he has prepared beforehand for you to walk in, to bring glory to God. And so when you look at the whole Bible as one book, which we should do, it is one continuous story. It's why we talked about being story formed. What you see is that you were created by God, for God, and he prepared good works for you to walk in. These are not just general things for you to do. This is not just something that you could do or I could do or someone else. He has prepared good works for you individually, for you to, to walk in and to do. And then what's interesting when you look at this text, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. See, he is supplying everything you need to do these good works. And so as I break down the rest of this text today, what I want you to see is God has not called you to do anything. He has not provided the resources or the ability or the giftings for you to actually do. That would not be a good God. That would be silliness and madness. And he would be like, yeah, I expect you to do all these things that I've prepared for you to do, but I'm not going to give you any resources or any abilities or any giftings or the time to actually accomplish it. Good luck. Like, that would not make sense. That would make no sense at all. So God has prepared this for us to walk in. So as we walk through these points and we look at this text, I hope that you can see that God has given you everything you need to do to actually achieve what we've laid out. And so... Um, just to clarify, because it maybe could be a little bit confusing, I am not, like usually we preach through a text like 6, verse 6 through 15. I'm going to be jumping all over the place. So stick with me for you note takers, for those of you who may space out. You may not even notice that I'm jumping all over the place. So let's, let's go. All right, first point. Here it, here it is. Don't be surprised when God doesn't use you. Verse 6 is super straightforward. Paul comes out, and I, I love this. He says, the point is this. He's getting right to it. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So if you don't sow much, then you can't reap much. If you're not putting a lot in, then you're not going to get a lot back. It doesn't work any other way. That is so simple, so straightforward. And that's why Paul says, let me get to the point. Here it is. Reap spare, sow sparingly, reap sparingly. And you think, okay, well, what does that mean? Because I've heard people say, like, if you sow into this ministry, you're going to get, you know, $1,000 in a week. You're going to get $10,000. I am not by any means up here teaching a give-to-get mentality, a prosperity gospel. I'm not trying to bash other uh, possible believers or, or pastors, but that is not something that we would teach here. That can be dangerous and misleading because God has not called you to give so you can get. He's called you to give so you can glorify him. 
Okay, so that's so important for us to see and to understand. But the problem with this is, is that sometimes we don't want to give. And then we don't understand. And, I, and when I say give, I, I do mean money, but I don't just mean money. I mean of our time, of our resources. Our house is our house. Our cars are our cars. I've got a truck, but I wouldn't dare let the church use it for anything because they might scratch it, you know, or whatever. Like, you, I don't want people over my house because they might mess up my house. Like, we, there's a lot of selfish mentality. My time is my time. But then the problem is, is that people want to be used by God, and they're confused of why God never uses them. Like, God's never used me to lead someone to Christ. I don't really have joy. I don't, I don't understand the Bible. Why doesn't God let me understand the Bible like that guy or the, this woman? Because you haven't done anything. That's why. Like, it's so simple. Like, if you don't put the time in, you don't sow the seed, but then you act like God's just going to... Look at this. You're going to get to go do all this. Like, it doesn't work like that. Katie didn't just walk up here one day and see those white and black keys and think, I really wish God would use me to glorify him through playing an instrument, specifically a piano or keyboard, and just start doing it. Like, it does, yes, he could do miracles. Like, I could sit down and all of a sudden gain rhythm and start playing drums. I have no rhythm. It's not going to happen. I haven't sewn into playing an instrument. I can't even clap and beat. God has not provided that for me. Okay? So when you're like, man, I wish he would use me. He's not going to if you're sowing sparingly. He just won't. God wants to put blessings in your hand. But here's the problem. Many of us, we have our hands like this. Our hands are, we got our, you say, well, here's my time. Here's my money, which that's like, I should probably say time and money are the first two. Those are the things we cling to the most. Here's my house, my kids, and all my resources and giftings. And I, and I, I see all that, and then bam, I close up. And then God's like, and you're like, well, I don't understand why I'm not reaping. Because your hands are clenched tight. God can't put anything in your hands because you're holding on to everything you think is important. And then you're like, well, why doesn't God use me to do work? Why, I'm not, why am I not on the worship team? Why, why don't I get to preach? Why am I not leading teams? Why am I not a missional community leader or, or doing whatever, leading someone to Christ? It's really hard to put clenched hands to work. It's super hard to put clenched hands to work. I can't pick up a tool right now. I can't do anything because I'm so busy and so much focused on just clinging to what I want. My hands are clenched. It's all about me in this moment. And so this idea of reaping, we all want to reap. We all want to see things happen. We want to have bountiful reaping, a bountiful harvest. Like that's what we would all want in life, not just financially, but for anything. You want things to go well for you. And God is not against things going well for you. There's no guarantee of it going well for you because of God. But he is not out against you. And so what we've done then is we, we say, well, I want this, so I should get it. That is the mentality of our culture and our society is I want, so I should get. I want, to, I want this opportunity, so why wouldn't I get this opportunity? I mean, literally, people apply for jobs they would never be qualified for coming out of college, and yet they don't understand why they have to start at entry-level type jobs, because that's the way the world works. You, you pour into something to receive something. We don't just get. And so God has called us to do this. He's called us to reap what we have sown. Like, it's, it's very simple. It's biblical. Like, you reap what you sow. And so, if you sow lazy things, guess what? You're going to get lazy results. Maybe you've heard it said before, do stupid stuff, win stupid prizes. Like, really? Like, 
That's the kind of the way it works. And, and for this, in kingdom, kingdom economics, don't invest in the kingdom and get earthly rewards. You don't want earthly rewards. You want kingdom rewards. And so when we're being missionally strategic, what we need to do is we need to see missionally strategic as investing for the long game. I think we're having some technical difficulties. So if that, if we weren't, you'd see that on the screen. And so for those of you who are note takers, being missionally strategic is investing for the long game. See, it's up there. It's just not, okay, it's back. It's back. So all right. So it's for the long game. It's for the long game. When I go and I talk to my uh, financial advisor at Edward Jones, like we will look at how my portfolio is doing. And I'm 38, so I've got a long time to go. He can be way more aggressive right now with my investments, with my IRA. He can do things that some of you who are, who are 20, 30 years ahead of me, you'd be like, there's no way that guy would do that with my money because if he did that and the stock market has a rough week, then I'm, I'm really in a mess. Like I'm looking at retiring in the next year or two years. You're not going to be that aggressive. If I lose, I lose. Like, I've got a long time to make it up. So I'm in this, I'm investing for the long haul. Farmers, if for those of you maybe are familiar farmers, I'm not, but I, I can Google, so I know this now. Okay, so what they do is, is they sow seed for the long haul because they, yes, they want to harvest this fall, of course, but they're also looking at rotating crops. They're planning out. One year, three years, five years, seven years down the road. They even work in resting certain fields so that the soil does whatever the soil is supposed to do. Like, they're, like they, this is the process. It's they're sowing and investing in that land for the long haul. They don't want to burn it out and then not be able to get any crops. There's a plan to do this. And so for us, we have to shift our thinking and see that we need to be investing missionally strategic for the long haul. Now, the long haul could be today, could be a month from now, but it could and should always be for eternity. Like, we should be in investing for eternity. So what does that mean for us? What does that look like for us as this capital campaign as we're moving towards this new building? Well, first of all, that we shouldn't just expect things now. It says that Verse 10, he who supplies the seeds, so that's God, to the sower, that's us, bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, which we're going to unpack in a little bit. And he says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So through us and our generosity, it will produce thanksgiving to God by, from others. This is from others, because it goes on, and it says that there, like in verse uh, 12, for the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, the believers, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God by their approval, meaning those outside the church. So here's where I'm going with this. To invest for the long haul, what you have to do is realize that you are seeing that other people are going to be reached by what you do. Thomas and Gwen are missionaries that we support over in Indonesia. We give to them on a monthly basis. We support them when they have other needs. They're going to get to lead people to Christ in a country that some of you may never set foot in. You will never get to meet the people that they lead to Christ until eternity. You're investing in people who you may never see. It's for the long haul. But one day you will 
see them. I don't know how heaven's going to work to see a multitude of millions of people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, but I know that I have done things in my life that God has used me, that there will be people there as a result of it. It is for the long haul. Now, when we think about this in even a bigger uh, scope for the long haul is this. There's about 170 kids from 18 down to birth and some of y'all are probably pregnant in this room. It's like every week another one's popping off pregnant. Like, it's good. Keep doing it. Like, keep fruitful and multiply. Right? So, like, that's 170 kids. You think, okay, so what does that mean? Well, it means this. In that 170 kids, 18 and below, I bet you there's a missionary, a pastor, church planter, kids ministry director, worship leader, keyboardist, drummer, hospitality team lead, godly parents to be. And you think, man, why do I need to invest in, 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 in this? Why do I got to look so long down the road? Well, because you're worried about the direction our, our world is going. You're worried about our culture. Godly kids who will be godly men and women who are godly husbands and wives and, and, and godly parents that's going to make the impact that we need. That's going to make the impact. So we invest for the long haul. Some of us will be dead and gone. Here's the deal. Him and I, Corey and I, we ain't preaching all that, all that much longer in the grand scheme of things. We got, I don't know, we got 20 years. <laughs> we got to get Josiah, Abram, and Colton. We got to get them up. It might be sooner and later after this building campaign and this building project. You're investing for the long haul. You never know like who's sitting in there. And here's the reality is, is you think, okay, well, that's cool. We need space. There's been Sundays people have shown up here. There's no parking spots. There's people that have shown up here. There's not been any space for their kids to check in. There's been times people have shown up and there's not been seats. This is a rarity. There's open, this many open seats at a 1045 service. We're investing for the long haul because you don't know who's going to walk through these doors. That's the next missionary. It could be the next Billy Graham. You don't know. And so we do this. And here, here's the thing as we continue to think of investing for the long haul. It says in this text, in verse 10, that you're sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, which, again, we're going to break that, just those words down so much more in a second. But I can tell you this. As you are a Christian... You've been justified, you've been made right with God, then you're being sanctified, and you're becoming more and more righteous, like, like your Father in heaven. Be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. So you're becoming more and more righteous, and one day you're going to be glorified, which is the finale of your salvation, and you are going to be as righteous as Jesus because you're covered in his righteousness. So he, the Father will see you as he sees the Son, which is perfectly sinless and whole, completely righteous. And so when you think, okay, what does that mean for me? So as you do things here on earth, Scripture tells us you're gaining up crowns and jewels and rewards for eternity. Now here's the deal. Jesus tells us in John 14, he's going to go prepare a place for you to be. For all of eternity. Like he says, I, I wouldn't tell you so. If it wasn't so, I'm going to go. You're not going to get these crowns and these jewels and these things and go and put them on your heavenly mantle. That's not how it's going to work. You're not going to display them in display case. They're not just for you to look at and think, man, I sure was awesome when I was on earth. I'm glad I'm in eternity. You're going to take them and throw them back, lay them at the feet of King Jesus. 
Now, one day, I don't know how it works. I don't know all the ins and outs of heaven because we're not there yet. But there's not going to be any sorrow. There's not going to be any guilt. There's not going to be any shame. There's not going to be tears. But yet I know this. I do not want to stand before my Lord and have nothing to lay at his feet. Would you want to stand there and say, man, got saved. Whew. I think it's really bad for the rest of them who didn't, but I did nothing with it. I squandered every bit. I sowed sparingly. We're sowing now so we can reap an eternal harvest. You don't want to be in that situation where you're like, man, this isn't who I want to be. Well, then you got this idea of like, okay, so I'm building up this, this harvest and of my righteousness. Well, who's going to reap that? Well, the Lord of the harvest. Matthew 9 tells us that Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but my labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. So he's praying here. He's telling us to pray for people to go out and to do the work of a missionary of, of the church, of the Christian. But he's saying that he's the Lord of the harvest. So one day, whether it's he calls you home now or he returns and puts an end to all this and all things are made new and finished, one way or another, he is harvesting you. And so I want to be found as a good and faithful servant. I'm investing for that day. I want to stand before him and say, thank you for saving me. And I hope that I did all that I was supposed to do. So we are in investing strategically for eternal dividends. So next... What we can see in this, though, is that we give to support the family, but also to grow the family. We talk about family so much as, as we worked in that vision frame that I laid out in the beginning of the service. Like we had to do this whole process where we narrowed down our church to one word. And Corey and I did this with some training, and the one word was family. That's where we landed, family. We want you to feel like you belong, not just at heights, but in the kingdom of God. And so as we narrow that down and we see like this is about family, well, in this, this passage, it's very clear here that this is what you're doing. So in verse 12, it says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, of the family, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from the confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what I'm saying here is this, is that Yes, your giving supports the saints. It makes it possible to have toilets that flush and there's paper towels to dry your hands that Corey and myself and Jeff and Kelly and Aaron, your staff, is able to, to actually make this our vocation and to do our thing. And all, all of that happens. All that happens because you're supporting the saints. You're, you're, you're by you're giving, you buy those little communion cups with the nasty wafer, you're, you're all that, right? Like you're getting things printed. That is supporting the family. You're providing for Thomas and Gwen so that others will be thankful and have many thanksgivings to God. So we are doing this to grow the family. We're not just doing this so that we can feel good. And then you think, well, do we really need to do all this? Like, do we need to support the family, to support and supply things for the saints in this way? Like, why do we have to have a bigger building? Why do we need lights? Why do we need anything? Well, here's why. Because God, in his sovereignty, placed you in the Metro East, in America, in 2022. And this is 
the way the church is done in America in this season of life. Are there errors and some things that are wrong? Yes, of course there is. And there's some churches that are way off and there's some churches that are trying and striving to be as close to being a biblical church in 2022 as we can. I'd say that's where we are. Do we look exactly like the church in Acts? Well, of course not, because we don't live in the Middle East in 30 AD or 50 AD or anything else. We are there, we are here now. And so when we support the family, it is, like I said, investing for the long haul so that we can continue to reach more people. This is not a theory at all that when we give, others will be brought to Christ. It's not theory, it is a fact. And here's why God is a missional God, He strategizes everything that He does, He sent His Son. That's giving a whole lot. He sent his son so that he would be glorified. His son, Jesus, is missional and strategizes to bring other people in. He willingly died, was resurrected. Then what does he do? He sends his spirit to us so that others would be brought into the family. And then what does the spirit do? He sends us to go. And so when we claim to be a Christian but we give sparingly or not at all, then we're revealing something about ourselves. We're saying, I don't really care about God being glorified. If you're unwilling to give at all, period, none, you're, you are basically saying, I, I, I don't care if God is glorified because it says that it will produce thanksgiving to God, that they're overflowing in many thanksgivings to God by their approval of this service. They will glorify God. This is about God getting the glory that he is due, that he is owed. That is it. And so when we are unwilling to give, we're robbing God of his glory. Next, when you don't give, you're saying, I really don't care about others coming to know God. So you're not caring about supplying the needs of the, of the family, of the saints, but you're also, you don't care if anyone else comes to be saved. You're just thankful that you are and that's it. Let them go to hell. It doesn't matter. That's literally what you would be saying. I don't care. But then lastly, you could just be saying, well, I'm glad I'm saved from hell, but I'm going to build my kingdom here. Your kingdom here will rust and rot away, and it will be forgotten. The reality is, and this is harsh, 50 years, 60 years after most of us die, you'd be lucky if people are still, still telling stories about you. It will be all forgotten on this earth. It's not what we're building up a kingdom for. We're building up a kingdom for him, to his glory. And so that's what we do is when we want to use our resources, when we want people to come to know Christ, we have to be willing to give. And so when I see this, that through my submission to Christ, it's going to bring glory to God and others will be saved by that, I'm all in. He promises he's going to use his people and their resources to advance his kingdom. He says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing can stop us. I want in. I want to be part of that. I don't want to not be used. And so this new building is just a tool. It's about growing and reaching people and to see his name magnified throughout the whole Metro East. And again, like we'll talk about it. We've had people, you know, and I'm not saying this is a knock on anyone, but we've had people say, well, why do we need a new building? We just, we'll start a church somewhere else. We'll send some people out. You have to have a church planter to plant the church. The bigger the pool, the more church planters there are. 
Now, some of you may be in this room. You could be wrestling with the call to plant the church. I would urge you, pray, pray, and pray through that. Maybe it is you. But we want to keep on pushing forward until we see God's name just glorified all over the Metro East. And if that means that he will keep growing this, then we will use this as a tool. Because that's what we do. We connect people to the family of God. So your giving supports us to function as a church that God has called us to be, but also fuels the mission. So either you're on mission or you are the mission. We've said it so many times up here that you're either you are the mission, either you're on mission or you are the mission. And so as we move to this last part here, this is a point that I want you to hear and I really want you to, to pay attention to this, our attitude towards missionally strategic giving reveals our heart towards Jesus. Our attitude towards missionally strategic giving reveals our hearts towards Jesus. It says that God loves a, a cheerful giver, that God is supplying all this. He's going to make all grace abound so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times so you can abound in every good work. This is good stuff for us to see. But the problem is, is that it says that when they were giving, it says that it will glorify God because of your submission. This is in verse 13. Because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. This is what drives us to be radically generous, that we give like Christ has gave. And see, what happens is when we think, well, my giving won't have an impact. My giving won't matter. It will. See, the church was not always like it was. You had in Acts 2, you have these people there, and, and they're just a small group of people praying together. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, rushes in, and then they go, and they're doing their thing, and then persecution comes, and persecution comes, and it comes, and it comes, and, and they're getting beaten down by Rome. It is not good, as Corey has said up here in the past few weeks. Like Literally, these Christians that Paul was raising money for, they were being persecuted at extreme rates. They were being boiled inside of bulls. The term Roman candles comes from Christians being on stakes and lighting the streets as they were set on fire. And so Rome was not a Christian nation at all through probably from 33 AD to about 100 AD. But 215 years later, Rome, the largest nation ever, is now a, was at that time a Christian nation. It changed the landscape, these people's hearts towards giving. Their heart towards Jesus caused them to have a heart towards giving. So a radical submission to the Lord of Lords is just saying, hey, I'm going to use all that I have so that I can advance his kingdom and see all things change. And so now this is where you start to think, well, I don't know if I'm in line with this. Like, do I have a confession of the gospel? That's where you have to stop and think. Like, do I con a confession of the gospel of Christ? Because that's, what the, that's what's fueling their giving is this confession of the gospel. See, in, in the Old Testament, people, God's people were commanded to give 10%. They gave 10% of their profit, of their income. So their fields, their grapes, their whatever they did, their cloth, they gave 10% to the kingdom, to God. And you think, okay, okay, 10%. I hear you. You say it's in the Old Testament. Thank God we're in the New Testament. And you know what? In the New Testament, it doesn't say to give any percentage. It doesn't. It doesn't say give 10%. Can't find it. It's not in there. So you're thinking, oh, whew. That's awesome. I don't have to give hardly anything. Well, 
not so fast. Because he's saying, yeah, some of us think that way. We do. He's saying that we give because our submission comes from our confession of the gospel of Christ. So 10%, that's the minimum. That's the minimum. That's not the, the marker for success. Like say, oh, I gave 10%, I'm, I'm done. Because here, here's some questions I think are really good that I got from Tim Keller. And here, just think of this. Are New Testament Christians, which, which is us, who know Christ, have the Holy Spirit, more blessed or less blessed than people in the Old Testament? We're more blessed. We've, ex- we've experienced the risen Christ if you're saved. You have the, the Holy Spirit living inside of you if you're saved. They did not. All they had was promises to Abraham, to Noah, to David, prophets who are speaking of a coming Messiah. We have this to know that it's all true. They were just living in faith, hoping. Hope this is right. Hope this is true. That everything they're saying, we've got it. We are more blessed. So then I would ask you, and this is from Tim Keller as well, are you more indebted or less indebted to God than the Old Testament folks? Well, you're more indebted. You're way more indebted. He's done so much more for you than you think, well, I didn't get to see any miracles. I didn't see the Red Sea parted. He put his spirit in you. You don't need to see the Red Sea parted. Like, dude, you got it. Like, you got the spirit that did the miracle. Now go do the work. Like, this is it. Like, you're more indebted. So the Bible gives you this inescapable conclusion you have to come to. If when you hear 10%, and that's the minimum, a minimum rule of thumb for how much to give, and you say, that's ridiculous, you're legalistic. You're legalistic. You don't like the rules, and so you're just going to get all bent out of shape about it and get weird about it, and you're like, that's legalistic. Now, some of us in the room, and I, there's probably someone in the room right now thinking this. If you, when you hear 10%, it's the minimum, the bottom shelf for giving, and you think, that's unreasonable. I'm going to straight up tell you right now, you're not a Christian. If you think that 10% is unreasonable, you're not a Christian. God has not saved you. He has not changed your heart, because if you are that self-centered to think that God doesn't deserve that, there's a problem. Like, it doesn't work. It does not work. And so when you think, well, I don't know, how do I know? Like, uh, some of you in this room have probably given to a church and have been burnt by that church because of unhonest people who have squandered money, who have embezzled money, who had frivolous spending that didn't make any sense, and you're like, I don't trust giving to the church. I will tell you this. If you don't trust giving to a church, then you shouldn't go to that church. But you have to have honest, real conversations. We're super transparent. You'll see the budget. You'll know what we're spending. We don't hide any of it. It's there out in the open because we want people to trust us because we want you to not be selfish and to, and, to, and to not want to give. But here's, let me give you this. If you, when you hear 10% and you think that's reasonable, that's more than reasonable. He's given everything. But, but I don't have 10%. I'm a new Christian. This, this whole giving concept, just like you just told me about it three months ago, David, I don't, I don't have 10% budgeted. I got a lot of bills and I want to get there, but I got 2%. I got five. I'm, gonna, I'm working towards it. I really am. Like, I want to get there where I, where I can do that. That's a whole different heart. So I, I, want you, I want to be careful that you hear me, that if you're in this room and you're not giving 10% yet, you're not tithing, but yet you have a heart to get to there, then praise God. 
right? Like, praise God. Like, he's sanctifying you. You'll reorient to your priorities because of the gospel. Your confession of the gospel is going to reorient to your priorities. You're going to be like, man, I'm, you know what? I used to spend a lot of money on myself. I was pretty selfish. I, I'm a, I, don't, I don't need a new pair of shoes every month. Just every other month. <laughs> right? That's me. I love shoes. I buy, I got as many shoes as my wife. Like, I love shoes. Well, if that was getting in the way of me giving and being generous and giving at least 10%, then I'd need to kick, you know, hey, those shoes will last a little longer. Like, they would. Like, so the, the gospel, your confession of the gospel changes your heart. It shows where you're at. That's why this generous giving, missionally strategic giving, really reveals where your heart's at with things. See, Jesus literally gave everything so that we could be saved. And if that doesn't spur you to at least trying to give as much as he's called you to give, then I don't know if you know that gospel or you know Jesus. And so today is a unique way to respond. We've, I don't, I think we got the box. I can't see in the light. Here comes Natasha with the box. This box is important to me. Um, If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about this. The reason she's bringing it up is because it was really cool. The kids downstairs were um, giving, and they were able to give in this box as well. And so growing up, I went to State Park Baptist with my grandparents, and um, every Sunday they would give me a couple dollar bills. I'd walk up there, I'd put money in this box. My grandpa built this box in, in the 70s, before I was even born. And every Sunday people would put money in that box to support keeping that building up and, and running. Now, as people stop being missionally strategic with their giving, people slowly stop giving money to that box, which slowly stop giving money in the offering plates. You know, they're old school. They passed the plate. And in 2017, September, they shut down their church, and what remains of them, they come here. Some seasoned saints who are here. So today, as you respond to the gospel, some of you have already made your pledge to this campaign. If you haven't, you maybe have grabbed the, the pledge packet on your way out and on one of these Sundays and, and you've already prayed with your, with your family or with God, obviously, and, and, and decided on an amount that you're going to give. If you have not turned in that pledge card, as we stand in a minute, you're going to get to come up and you're going to get to put your pledge in that box to say, I'm investing in this story. I'm invest-. And it's not a story of heights. It's God's story from, from creation to complete restoration. You're investing in that. And then, for those of you who have made your campaign pledge, today and next Sunday, we're we're giving 10% of that, if you can, up to 10% as a first fruit offering, saying, I'm going to jumpstart this thing. I'm going to get it going. I want to get it moving. And I'm just speaking, this is just for me and my family. In a second, when I I shut up and I go back down there, like my family, we're going to go and we're going to put a physical check in there. For me, this morning, like I knew, like going in this, like we do all of our giving as a family through the Church Center app. But this is the act of worship for me that I want to, to do that. I want to put it in that box because I know, like this is to His glory, for His kingdom, for for Him. And so today, as we respond to the gospel, you can respond by by doing that. If you got your pledge card, come up, put it up there. Don't, don't be too like, ashamed to sit in your seat. If you're ready to, to give your first fruit offering, get up and, and put it in that box. Then as, as believers together, we're going to take communion together. We're going to rejoice in that he died for us. 
and he rose again. Like we'll read a scripture of why we do that. And then if you're sitting here today and there are some things revealed and you're thinking, I don't know that I know that Jesus you're talking about who gave everything for me. Today is the day you can give your life to Christ. He has done all that needs to be done. You don't need to do anything. You just need to cry out and say, Lord, save me. I'm a sinner far from you and I need saved. And he will. He will. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to read some scripture concerning communion. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me as we respond. God, thank you for how you've supplied the seed for us to sow. We did not make the seed, but you made the seed. You gave us the seed. And now, Lord, I pray that we will sow it just abundantly. And then, Lord, that we will see an eternal harvest that we get to be part of reaping. God, I pray for everyone in this room. God, they will see the opportunity you've laid in front of them, that we won't have clenched hands, but we'll have open hands to give to you, to give to your kingdom and your work. God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, please save them. Let them join in on this family that you have adopted as sons and daughters. God, I just I pray that you use us to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what the scripture says concerning communion. This is for all believers. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim his death.